welcome one and all to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Joel on true, Pete. Joel on true. Joel on true. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 104, Absolute Candor, comes to you now via vast quantities of stuff. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, I think to the surprise of few, but it's always good to have confirmation this week, the, the, uh, I don't know, the, how does one put it? There was the revelation that the, the, the anti-Star Trek leaders on social media, I'm talking about your tiny doom, your red woman. I know they go by other names. The ones that make YouTube videos with exclusive takedowns. Uh, that they have been pulling info from the rather dubious website 4chan, but that people on 4chan had apparently worked together to plant fake stories to catch Tiny Doom and the Red Woman taking lies and spilling them. Uh, and embedded in those 4chan posts were things like, you are being trolled and things like that. Listen, a, a small band can come together, bind their sword to a cause, and overthrow an empire. Uh, I know that the, the, you know, just, it was with such glee that I think so many of us, you know, saw whether it was YouTube coverage or blog coverage or whatever to just say, look, if you want to be down on an episode or down on a show, be down on it, but don't make up stories like this producer kick-punched using Brazilian jiu-jitsu and OLED TV. Like, there were so many ridiculous specific things. Even down to, oh no, Tiny Doom made another video, so this producer trashed his office. Like, it got increasingly crazy. And I think... For me, the, the best part of it was the acrostic nature of the planted posts spelled out. It's a fake. <laughs> so... These people are stupid. Uh, they are consistently attempting to get YouTube to monetize their videos, which means they do not even meet the threshold to be monetized because of great God algorithm. So uh, they can just uh, dry up and blow away. Yeah, I think if nothing else, it's proof that in Star Trek fandom and in the larger world, people are willing to lie just to trick dumb people into believing things that simply are not true but such is the world pete i guess we'll have to hold out a little hope for the star trek times uh that that are ahead of us but what do you say that we head into our mission briefing starfleet shuttles streak over the planet vashti in the beta quadrant at the romulan relocation hub 14 years ago Romulans play Pichmet, and life goes on. A boy runs through the dusty streets, stealing a fruit from a shopkeeper who tells the sister boy to keep on running. Sister boy tells him that he could bite him. Just before Admiral Picard beams down, he assures everyone around that the Federation and Starfleet will help them settle. The boy informs others that admiral picard is coming and hides behind the head sister pete picard might not like children but he says with the grandest of patrick stewart warmth that he likes elnor very much uh he's gonna stay with zani that's your head sister there and the company for a while 
Uh, it's hammered home that Elnor is the only boy in this nun's house of women. Later, we see a montage of Picard and Elnor stick sword fighting, nay fencing, uh, while Picard, not while, in the montage it's while Picard is reading Three Musketeers. You know, Pete, the great French book, because Picard is the Frenchman who reads other other times Shakespeare and drinks Earl Grey tea, but he's also very French. Yes, the Alexander Dumas masterpiece here. We learn that the way of absolute candor running contrary to uh, the ordinarily secretive Romulan society speaks exactly what they're feeling in the moment. No filter between thought and word. And that with the help of the Kuat Milat nuns here, uh, they were just able to relocate 10,000 new refugees to the southeast station. Picard has three days until he heads to the central station. So we're establishing what's going on here. Um, Picard had earlier promised Elnor he would stay a little longer. However, uh, a promise is a prison, one that uh, Picard reminds Zani of when he brings her some sweet Hannafak. But all of this, all these these uh, easy plans, the casual conversation, uh, all that gets interrupted as Picard gets word. By the way, Pete, word with the, the, the earpiece, the ear communicator, which uh, Pete... One of the Peter David Star Trek novels made reference to ear communicators. And to me, all these years later, you know, now that we have them for realsy, and that's not something that maybe would have been predicted in 1966 or 1987. Uh, to me, it's very fitting that he's walking around with an ear communicator, but he gets word since, wait, what is that, Rafi? What do you mean? Since have attacked Mars? Picard needs to go. He says he'll be back. Pete. That's some story seeding for later on, because, in fact, he did not return very quickly. Uh, the story moves to the still unnamed La Serena. So my notes are going to continue to call it the unnamed La Serena, because uh, it's Star Trek. Things need to be said or shown on screen. Uh, Captain Rios is reading, but he doesn't mind Dr. Gerardi interrupting. Pete, that's because they know I ship them. She monologues <laughs> about the size of space. She says that she used to live with and bother a guy who liked paper books. It was her dad. Do you sense, Pete, that maybe there's a little growing sizzle betwixt them? What's the what's your ship name? Is it Rorati? Um or Drios? Um Pete, listen, I remember so distinctly back in the, the, the days of Lost the show, uh first hearing the uh the the the, the phrase ship. Um, and, and not really, I mean, I, I kind of took a while to understand it. And then the fact that ships need to have names, I guess, Pete, I, I, I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak my truth. I'm not one for ship names. Can I just say, I hope Gerardi and Rios, uh, kiss each other on their mouths and, uh, that neither finds out that the other is actually not what they say they are because, uh, there's theories aplenty that neither is what they say they are, which can only add to the heartbreak. But she's bored here, Matt. She's uh, used this time in uh, space or what should actually be called vast quantities of stuff, you know, with three billion stars and their galaxy alone and their galaxy being one of two trillion and over a septillion 
of known planets to catch up on, you know, all that reading in the journal of theoretical cybernetics. I know I get that, don't you? And watering Rios's plants. Uh, she was going to watch a hollow, but strangely, it's nothing but Klingon opera, which, of course, there's a long backstory that we we don't get just yet but uh, reveals that he's reading, as we knew from uh, the previous episode, all about the existential pain of living with the consciousness of death and how it defines humans. No other species, Matt, only humans. Uh, Because, of course, Pete, both of them are humans later discussing. Uh, You might think, Pete, that this is just going to be an entire scene of them sharing stuff about each other, but Rafi runs up to the bridge, action inserted into the story. Wait, where are we going? I checked the nav logs. It's not where I thought we were going because you gave the free cloud thing at the end of the episode, and we're going to we're gonna meet Bruce Maddox, but apparently not this episode. Wait, we're going to Vashti, which Pete made me feel good because I just learned about Vashti at the beginning of the episode. Yes, in the Kiris sector. Uh, the man, Picard, can't even take a guilt trip without the use of a starship. But where's Picard, Matt? Well, he's in his study, or rather, hollow study. You see, Pete, filming in California, even with a tax credit, sometimes can be expensive. What with those union rates, etc. Not that we're complaining, mind you. Uh, so this is what's called a set reuse, but it's the hollow study mr hospitality thusly named in the uh in the subtitles is your very kind very deferential hospitality uh, hologram in a ship filled with holograms he's proud of how everything has been rebuilt as per the particulars of his pronunciation here mr chibon everybody else has said jabon uh, I think further proof, Pete, that Chibon is in fact showrunner Michael Chibon in spirit, if not in actor. This the first solo written script of the series thus far and credited to showrunner Michael Chibon, the Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, it goes on here with the hollow scans having been provided, everything done to exact specifications, yet we get the feeling from Picard just doesn't quite feel like home, nor should it really. Uh, and there are so few hospitality emergencies on that vessel to begin with anyway. The captain keeps his own company because he is in no way totally not a hologram too. Now, Pete, Some people have claimed that this show is all exposition and no story movement. Is that true of what follows? I'll say you take a listen, because here's what happens. Picard recaps the mission. Dodge's sister may be dead, and they're headed to Free Cloud, and Rafi totally doesn't want to hang out there. Anyway, Vashti's cool, right? Except for Car Cantor, who has an antique bird of prey. He's one of those smugglers running the show around here. Oh, and Vashti is a hotbed of Romulan rebirth, and there's Romulan warrior nuns that are killers that can't be hired, and there's the way of absolute candor in case you didn't catch it before. The nuns follow it. No communication. Uh, total communication with no filter. A very anti-Romulan perspective. And Rafi hammers home that Picard is worried about Dodge's sister and that Romulan kid Elnor. Is everyone clear now via exposition? And done, I think, in a way that is believable in this holographic recreation of Picard's home. So... I bought it 
it works it moves the story forward uh Gerardi having come in on what she believes to be a, a secret meeting and wait is she is she part of the crew now uh so all of that gets us to a place where we need to go check in on the b story for the episode which is at the b for borg artifact uh warbirds now gliding around the artifact soji is laying down the pigment cards as she's watching a hollow recording of one time professor ramda speaking about ganmadan what their ancestors called the day of annihilation of everything all life everywhere do we have our stakes yet pete i think it's great that she's watching professor ramda talk about thor ragnarok all brought about by <laughs> the destroyer which i think the function of this scene and this is not me being snarky the function of this scene is to remind us that ramda has called soji the destroyer and amongst other story clocks for the season will soji become the destroyer what does the destroyer destroy and so forth uh is a uh is a uh an iron in the oven as the cool kids used to say back in the 1890s what the uh the call to uh the shackled demons uh everywhere uh to break their chains is uh doing with Ramda explaining this and the really intentional inclusion of a framed photo of Soji and her sister Dodge. So clearly they are the shackled demons or they are the ones to call other shackled demons. But this all has very clearly frightened Soji. Back we go to the unnamed La Serena. They're hanging out over Vashti. Just kind of dramatic pause as the camera moves. Uh, we're told it's got your standard shield array around the planet. Nothing quite as advanced as uh, Planet Spaceball, but in that neighborhood. Uh, there's also drone attackers, but you can get in during a brief window. Uh, Pete, on rewatch, it was hammered home to me, especially how difficult it was to get into the planet. They called Central Station to be allowed in during one of these brief windows. They were not impressed. How about a bribe? Picard kind of laughs. I guess the bribe works. I kind of feel like this scene leaves me hanging a bit. I, but my Star Treks, Matt. Well, yeah. I, I guess here's my... Okay, look. Star but Trek my imagined, Star Treks. Star Trek imagined a moneyless future. Deep Space Nine updated that and said, the Federation has a moneyless future. Uh, or which is to say in the, in the in the time of Star Trek, has a moneyless present, but money exists out there at the edge. And, you know, occasionally, sometimes on Deep Space Nine, you might trade uh, a Cambalt for a Quatnot, or, you know, you might even be dealing with uh, gold-pressed latinum out there. I do kind of wonder how one who comes from comes from moneyless Earth and who's not made a dime in the space service for all these years and then went back to your family-owned vineyard I'm a little curious how it's like, oh, how about we bribe them? <laughs> you just replicate some gold pressed latinum. That, that, that's all. Um, to my mind, this is, an ep this is a scene that sets up how difficult it is to beam out later. And also how difficult it is to beam in. But we don't see how difficult it is to beam in. It's just difficult to beam out later in terms of seven minutes. So 
have your fight and then we can get you out that kind of thing um not a huge complaint but perhaps a bit of a bit of a finger wag but pete take us to the town square because bottom line picard gets in you know bribe <laughs> yes and he regards romulans who stare at him but largely ignore him women are seen wearing a patch uh, there's a sign at a cafe that reads Romulans only. And one Romulan in particular looks at Picard and taps a comm badge. Picard arrives at the, I guess we could say it's a convent, right? That's I think convent, temple, it's all yeah, interchangeable. Of the Kuat Malat. Uh, and Zani, in the way of absolute candor, tells him he got old she reminds him it's a house of truth they thought they would never see him again but he asks for their help one last time as elnor enters yes elnor there having the i'm done with my chores oh wait surrogate dad is back and elnor (laughs) is angry and pete i you chuckled a bit, and I said it in a slightly funny way. I think that uh, one of the strengths of the episode is how, uh, in the background, we have uh, this little story of Elnor seeing Picard as a surrogate dad, and Picard, Picard, our surrogate Star Trek dad, uh, definitely uh, you know came up short here. But back we go to the cube, where Soji reflects with Narek over Ramda's tortured existence. What did Ramda see in Soji? What does Narek see in Soji? Um, Pete, they're having a drink there. Is that a Romulan ale bottle I spy? It Can't... is in a little... I love how they've like moved in and redecorated bits of this Borg cube. Other parts where your badge turns green, completely deadly, run. Still others. You put your, you know... Twinkle lights. Uh, uh, there is a Mater D visible in the background of this scene as they're uh, enjoying the Ronduin Ale as one does responsibly. Uh, we're all going to be living in board cubes in the future. <laughs> uh, board cubes as decorated by Ikea. Um, Soji notes that Narek has no rank, no uniform, all the info he could possibly want. Uh, he denies being Tal Shiar, but admits that if he was Tal Shiar, he'd deny being Tal Shiar. Um, and denies knowing about what happened to the Shaynor, you know, Ramda's ship, which first view caught my ear. Second view, I'm like, all right, they want to keep Shaynor, Ramda's ship. They want to keep that phrase uh, going, obviously, for future story use, or at least I propose for future story use with that Pete. Narek wants to show her something in private. Yes, uh, though the discussion keeps centering on these classified Borg databases, uh, takes her down a darkened corridor here so that he could teach her an ancient Borg ritual. Soji, you have to, you know, really kind of look for it. She does the data head tilt at the suggestion that Borg had rituals um she had watched ramda on a romulan talk show called your manure which is maybe the greatest use of romulan ever 
Fun fact, that was also the show that the uh, the Muppet character, the Swedish chef, appeared on. <laughs> um, but her Romulan is impeccable. How did she learn this? Oh, you know, a professor friend of her father's. Totally not Sela or anybody like that. Um, one can understand, I think, better on second view that this scene is actually about him getting that bit of information out of her and uh, a little bit more of that. Well, then what we learn in a moment, how, you know, uh, she shipped out on the Ellison in 2396. Uh, on, on first view, I think that it's, it's like, Oh Pete, these are, these are young people being hot and young and fun. And they're, they're playing Borg slip and slide in the smoke so that they can find a quiet corner to kiss. And Yes, I think the story benefits from some of that, you know, ah, to be young and in love. And Jeff Russo's music here is among the best he's ever done because you really, even if you're sitting there going, this is just the hot young models doing hot young model kissing. Where's my Picard? Um, it, it, there's just an effervescence and a life to the scene. But the scene is actually about, wait, there are all these details from your past. Smooch, smooch, smooch. Oh, wait a minute. There's no record of you being a passenger there, but let's kiss some more. Oh, wait, now Soji is upset and he ties it all together because, you know, Narek is not getting a ton of story time to say, Mwahaha, I am a great villain. Here he's getting the ability to say, I'm tugging on some strings. Don't you want to tug on some strings too? Because there's mysteries everywhere. There's mysteries about you, Soji. And that's a really compelling point. And continues to use the opportunity that Soji would get to see these Borg data files uh, as the carrot to lure her back, her insatiable curiosity, back to the unnamed La Serena where Rafi sips tea and discovers someone on Vashti has ID'd Picard. He's blowing up on personal con traffic. That's your future social media and it's catastrophically bad rio says they need to get him out of there picard tells raffi he needs more time uh he's safe from the anger with the nuns but rios picks up an incoming ship just on the limit of scanner rage it's that old romulan bird of prey there to restore the balance of terror <laughs> Uh, so story clock, quiet story clock now established in terms of TikTok. There's a thing out there. Uh, I, I guess also, Pete, speaking of TikTok, Picard's blown up on on Romulan TikTok, <laughs> Romulan Twitter, Romulan Facebook. You know, hashtag Picard, hashtag traitor. It's all definitely you know. not Vine, though. That That is no longer the Romulans are no longer using that. Uh, that's true. Um, I, I also like to... I. I think on the one hand, look, in part because we, the viewer, are going from the planet to the ship, we know that the situation is a bit more dire. But, you know, retired Admiral Picard, who's gotten out of many a scrape, I think it's it's in line with the character now, maybe less so, you know, 20 years ago. But it's in line with this version of the character for him to say, uh, whatever, there's some kind of thing that needs me to hurry up. Go deal with it, crew. Picard out. I'm doing my thing. You do your thing. Your thing is to give me the time I need. Uh, I think it's all in line there. Um, we get some expositional recap about how the nuns are helping Romulans and Terrans alike. What? No, like, 
Bolians ever stop by, give a haircut, something like that. Picard needs one of these Kalan Kakai. Why? Because it's a desperate cause and protection is needed. Ah, Pete, totally unrelated. If only somebody could do something about Elnor, you know, who fits in so poorly. Yes, and as Picard politely turns down some uh, bread there, Elnor throws down the tray, uh, the reticence he picked up from Picard, uh, not quite fitting in, again, apart from the gender, uh, having been placed with these nuns and never placed anywhere else. But when Picard left, all this stuff, the poverty, the degradation, the ethnic strife was not present. There was hope, and now it's gone. But he's taking on the Tal Shiar alone. It's not too late to rescue Elnor either. Um, They just never found a better home for him. But he completed his training last spring. He'll never be a Kawat Malat as a man, uh, but he's open-hearted, he's forthright, and his fighting skills are truly formidable. Side note, earlier Picard told uh, his crew that the Kawat Malat are the greatest single combat fighters he's ever seen. That contextually goes a very long way, given that he was the arbiter of succession to the Klingons. Uh, finally, Picard is able to, uh, to tell Elnor a story. And I think underplayed is the humor because the, the, the process, Pete, is this, to hire, uh, one of these, uh, sagacious warriors, uh, you tell them a story, they listen and they, they determine whether the, the story is worthy. Picard says, I'm going to tell you a story. Elnor says, oh, usually it's a sad story. Picard not listening says, oh, my friend Data died. Um, and yes, we see you're to... knocking where it feels like you're knocking this part for me among many great parts of this episode was the interplay between uh, Elnor and Picard first as, as a child. And to see that we know from the next generation, the number of times Picard was put around children, you know, the, the difference being families on that vessel, how it made him bristle, you know, shut up, Wesley to, you know, getting stuck in an elevator with kids, et cetera, et cetera. That time he got turned into kids, Uh. all that, okay? And now this grandfatherly loving air that he emits and and needing uh, Elnor here, the, the, you know, uh, re-exposition about Data having a cat named Spot and everything there, it it just works. It's elegant. I'm certainly not down on this scene, particularly because Picard is telling Picard is there to say, Hey, sword cell, let me tell you why you should join my crew. And Hey, there's this data guy who I miss. And Picard again, kind of from his lofty tower of, I have commanded hundreds and thousands of people and ships and fleets and whatnot misses Elnor saying, but wait, Picard, dad, didn't you miss me? Um, Elnor wants to be told that he is personally needed. Meanwhile, Picard is there to uh, to argue for the top security chief job on this mission. And it just left me saying, you know, be the dad, Picard. Don't be the captain who 
you know, who moves around uh, roster assignments. This guy needs his dad, and Picard, you're it. And you left, you left for for space milk all those years ago, and never came back. Um, Get a pack and, of space cigarettes. Yeah, like there, there's there's a quiet heartbreak to this scene in part because we see Picard's sins laid bare, and worse is he does not see them. Um, and it's the sheer end- effing hubris, Pete. She was right. The CNC was right. The anger here that Eldor holds, that now he is of use, so that now he is of value. Um, but it comes back to the to the tortured nature that Picard has had over the last two decades. Um, and Elnor is content to to let him go suffer. Uh, Picard contacts Rios, ready for transport. Oh, seven minutes. What, what do you have time to do in, in seven minutes, Matt? Surely not take down um, a Romulans-only sign, enter a cafe, and get into a sword fight with a former senator. Yes, almost 24-style, uh, seven minutes. Beep-boop, beep-boop. <laughs> so, I mean, a literal story clock here. Um, you're right, Pete. He sees at the ye oldie Romulans only tavern. He sees the Romulans only sign, you know, throws it to the ground. Great sound effects, you know, with the clank, clank, clank. Um, gets confronted by Andrev, the former senator. Great speech here. I understand Andrev's angst. However, at what point do you sit and go, Hey, Picard did his best. Yes, Picard personally made all these promises, but he's not, you know, independently wealthy Picard that has a thousand ships. He was there on behalf of the Federation. And guess what? The government let you down, not Picard. Um, But regardless, they fight with swords. Wait a minute, Pete. You may or may not remember some of the Star Trek Next Generation episodes where Picard would fence. But do you remember earlier in this episode where Picard was fencing, albeit with a stick? See what they did there? They set that up to remind you he can use a sword. Here he is using a sword, albeit quickly. Parry, 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 parry. Pete, then he turns it aside. Make peace, not war. And Elnor shows up. Please, my friend, choose to live. But he's not talking to uh, granddad friend. He's talking to soon-to-be beheaded Romulan, former senator friend. He regrets that choice and uh, in one move hits the two other toughs and beheads Takamendrev. Uh, the, the head taking a second after the slash to fall off the shoulders. Great effect. Uh, he regrets the choice the former senator has made and announces that he has bound himself to Picard as Kalan Kakai. Um, and Picard here uses this moment for his mea culpa, although, as you point out, is one really needed he says that the Federation and, and he has failed them. He's sorry. Uh, as the other thugs prepare to uh, counter the sword with disruptors, Picard and Elnor beam out. Once aboard, Raffi uh, and Gerardi are uh, introduced to Elnor. Um, and Picard chastises Elnor for having killed the man. He did not deserve that if 
his sword is going to be bound to his cause. He makes him swear he will tell him when to fight and when to refrain because there's never going to be a future story point where Picard says no and Elnor says yes. Also, Picard, a fan of the classic hollow story, The Terminator Part 2, in which the Terminator says, I swear I will not kill anyone. <laughs> and Picard here is saying, you must swear you will not kill anyone unless I say to kill someone. Uh, but I think you're right, Pete. We might be setting up a future uh, branching on the whole killing thing. Uh, back to the board cube. Sultry sister finds uh, Narek asleep, kind of fiddles with him. Uh, what on the chest and the ears and such. This is uh, not how you wake up your brother, just so uh, we're clear. Uh, I have it, three brothers, and this is not how we were ever taught, nor did we ever wake them up this way. Uh, it's hammered home that Narek is slowly playing Soji to get information without her activating. And I must admit, Pete, I'm watching the scene going, here's another scene where we kind of recap past stuff, but we edge into some new territory because, after all, if she activates... She'll end up dead like the one on Earth. They want them all dead, but they need to find out where they all are. All, Pete. Wait, I thought it was two. Apparently there's more. Oh, yes. and uh, P.S. Soji may be the destroyer in Star Trek Thor Ragnarok. Yes. Uh, going back to this uh, archetypal view that uh, Raman myth, I mean, uh, stories like the news tell us. Um so uh, this idea that Narek has to continue to work Soji for information here. We've got another story clock. He's got one more week before she commences with the pain and violence. Take us back to Vashti. On our heroes unnamed La Serena ship, uh, they see getting closer and closer. It's the bird of prey. Oh my goodness, Pete. It is a slight loving re-upping of that old bird of prey design. One can genuinely imagine that this is a 100-year-old plus ship. Um, and uh, there's an old school space fight. A lot of fun. Let's turn here. Everybody move to the right, move to the left, all that stuff um explosions ay ay ay's etc uh we get it made very clear via dialogue that the bird of prey is pinning la serena against the planet security net so you got your old rock in a hard place emmett the tactical uh hollow arrives all sullen hand in his long hair as he says things in spanish like i guess we'll fire back and just yet another holographic character uh, on this ship wait pete look up in the sky what's that come to help it's another ship heck of a pilot there wonder who that could be because uh cbs all access doesn't have a skip through the title card sequence so in no way is this the special guest star in the last two minutes well, good news, Pete. I know it's not Jerry Ryan, and I'll tell you why. Because in dialogue, they say his ship is hit. He's asking for permission to beam over. He needs help. He's a he. Wait, let's beam him out. Wait, we've got him. Pete, it in no way is going to be the least he person in the history of Star Trek in that she was asked for five years to wear 
of spandex cat suit for reasons that I think are obvious to everyone, story reasons. I'm not necessarily justifying it, but uh, she's a lady's lady. Wait, Pete, who's beaming in? It's seven of nine. And strangely, Matt, there were apparently people who got upset that Picard refers to her by his by her Borg name because, you know, they don't share that background at all. And of course, he would only refer to her by her human name, Annika, uh, to our knowledge, the two characters never having met. And refresh my memory, Pete. Did she ever go by Annika on Voyager, even after the Annika flashback stories? Never. So uh, doesn't refer to her by the possibly too familiar and intimate seven, but seven of nine, you know, who I read about from the briefings and spoke to Admiral Janeway about. And uh, as seven of nine materializes on the bridge here, tells Picard that he owes her a ship before she passes out. Pete Seven, if I may call her so familiarly, may have just passed out, but we still have an incoming threat analysis. Quick, seats to the right, seats to the left. It's Car Kentar who's shooting at us. I... The only bit I would criticize in this episode, the the big bad is a ship. Um, and we never get that uh, reveal. Here's someone speaking from the other ship. You, how dare you come back or anything like that? It doesn't need it. It might have helped. But otherwise, really appreciate bringing back of the Romulan bird of prey and uh, the principal threat against are good guys in this episode maybe they're saving the reveal even if it's like a cutesy you know like it it is a weirdo alien but wouldn't you know it it's will wheaton under there or something like that i, I don't know i certainly agree with you i'm just hoping maybe they're maybe they say ranya swilling eight-year-old there you go uh next on the threat list pete is takam andrev the high up senator who now has fallen so low to be angry bar patron at this uh i don't know increasingly decaying outpost um i buy again their anger but at the same time and it's something to discuss a little bit more in the next segment picard was but one man in this gigantic rescue effort yes he was the face of it yes he never came back but the level to which it's heaped on him in this episode, apart from the way he's doing it himself, felt a bit much. Is it maybe a bit more allowable if we factor in something that the episode kind of mentioned, but I don't think hammered on as much, which is that when Picard failed, he just up and left. Like, is that maybe a factor in the anger that people are feeling that it wasn't just... It wasn't just, hey, you made these promises and they took away your ships. It was like, uh, you completely, you really did become, you know, the wine-making hermit and really didn't then go on the hollow talk shows and say, if I can't do it, who will? You didn't run for office. You didn't start a nonprofit or whatever one does in the Federation. You didn't start a, a charity group. You just gave up. It, does that help? It, I mean, it hurts, but does it help? 
have throughout the series thus far stressed the the personal responsibility that if you can't do it you build the coalition it was always the thing that picard was was known for the grief of the death of data which took place before all the troubles with uh the romulan supernova kind of seemed to edge him in in a particular direction uh but here mr Chabon, not Mr. Chibon. Don't don't confuse the two. Um, he chooses to hammer home in the line here uh, that Picard utters to the Kowat Malat that he let the perfect become the enemy of the good. That if he couldn't help anybody, he wasn't going to help. If he couldn't help everybody, he wasn't going to help anybody. And there's a certain logic to that type of withdrawal. Uh, so it's believable. And again, he had resigned Starfleet. The challenges, the obstacles were laid out. We're going to have a multi-world uh, evacuation effort with private ships outside of the purview of, of Starfleet and the Federation. It was impossible. And though he and Rafi accomplished one impossible thing at a time, it was just too much so it's understandable that this senator who tearfully welcomed, along with others, Picard into the Romulan Senate. It was the second time he was ever there, Matt. Uh, you go back to the events of, of Nemesis. Um, that they were going to offer this assistance, this benevolence to their oldest enemy and up and vanished. They don't really care about the synth thing at least not yet at least they haven't to this point uh you know with sebchenev the destroyer and and all that other stuff because there's no connection whatsoever they're, they're, they don't have any ai or androids or synthetic life whatsoever so this uh bitter feeling that they hold on to uh, understandable that it was done in some kind of Trojan horse way to scatter and divide the Romulans, as Andrev says. Sometimes it's easier to believe in the conspiracy than believe in the truth. Pete, we have who I guess we are tentatively calling Lieutenant Rizzo's sister, uh, the sister of Narek, who still seems to be hanging out on that Borg cube. Um, how has she been able to slip away? Did she in her uh, Starfleet position just take her two weeks of leave? Did she go on a secret mission to Sector 1-3 and then take the secret shuttle to 1-5, which is the Borg Cube? Uh, what's she doing? Where has she missed? What's up? She is on a black leather uh, sheer outfit sabbatical. You get those every couple of years from... Uh, Section 31 or uh, the Jatvash or, you know, Jat 31, whatever hybrid uh, organization she's representing. I mean, again, the, the, it works within the context of the location. They have taken up residence in a still partially functional Borg cube. Um, so, yeah, if you want to tickle your uh, your brother's uh, chest to wake him up uh, while you're not doing your Starfleet duties as Lieutenant Rizzo, uh, you can still manage those. 
Pete, let's take a look at long-range sensors, talk about some theories ahead. You know, earlier in the week, I was listening to my favorite Star Trek Picard podcast. Uh, that's this one. And hearing us discuss how Captain Rios has all these character attributes which seem to be really hammered home. Boy, what a Spaniard he is. The light bulb then went off. Wait a minute. He's as constructed as any of the other, uh, you know, uh, people on the ship, the holograms. Pete, Captain Rios, a hologram himself. Your thoughts? Emergency command hologram. And wouldn't it be a kicker if the captain whose brains and blood he saw spattered against a bulkhead was his own and his consciousness transferred to this hologram. I mean, listen, all of the clues are there in retrospect. Um, and Star Trek never does this now, Matt, where they hint at a mystery that unfolds over a number of episodes, mates for a great guessing game. I'm not looking at 2017 with season one of Star Trek Discovery at all with Voke, who is definitely not played by the same actor who plays Lieutenant Ash Tyler, and they're not the same. And then uh, Captain Gabriel Lorca, who is completely from the Prime Universe and definitely not from the Mirror Universe, or in season two with the Red Angel that is uh, definitely uh, Burnham, Saru, Tilly, uh, Stamets, uh, also Dr. Culver, and maybe even uh, non-Mirror Captain Lorca come back to save them. And then here we are, with a mystery surrounding the potential hologram nature of Captain Rios and uh, is Commander O a Vulcan? Is Commander O Jat Vash Romulan? Is Commander O a member of the Men in Black? Also, she was on Okinawa and that actress played Daniel San's girlfriend from Okinawa in Karate Kid 2. It is all connected. Pete, maybe you have a branch theory then that Car Kintar is going to be played by Ralph Macchio. Uh, no, but... no, he's actually the uh, the boyfriend, uh, the spurned boyfriend ah, yes. from Okinawa, and uh, Elnor and he are going to tangle with the little drum doll uh, on. Uh, yeah, oh, it's, I'm telling you, episode eight is going to be lit. Uh, just to tie a bow in this Captain Rios theory, Pete. If this emergency command hologram saw his captain, uh, you know, killed before him, brain splattered everywhere, and this command hologram was trying to get a better understanding of what that did to him, the hologram emotionally, mm-hmm. seems to me that he'd be reflecting a lot on the existential pain of living with the consciousness of death. Now that defines one's humanity, seeing as how he has an emerging humanity since the great crisis which caused this hologram yes. to become human. And reads paper books in an era in which no one reads paper books. Um, Except for books written by Michael Chabon. Yes, because, I mean, listen, I'll be disappointed at this point if he's not. And I know people have said, but I see images of future episodes where he is down on a planet because no emergency hologram ever has developed technology because of a writer's room and story purposes uh, to head down to a planet. 
Pete, what other theories are on your space radar? I'm going right for it, Matt. Is Elnor Sela's child or grandchild? Are they related? That's an awfully tempting question, and that would be a really interesting way to bring back Denise Crosby. And let me put it this way. It is convenient for this episode to say, hey, there's this orphan boy in transit. We're all in transit here 14 years ago. We're going to get him into a proper home. You're telling me that nobody, no Romulan person, even in the Romulans-only segregated bar, looked at this kid at any point in the last 14 years and was like, hey, you live with a bunch of ladies in the lady nun uh, monastery. It's not for boys. Uh, don't they def- never define ever gender. stash secret children in convents. It's never <laughs> ever been a story trope in the history of convents or children. It would be it would be a really handy way to have a nod back. I think the great the great weight that this show has to distribute properly is how to do nostalgia without turning this into Star Trek the next next generation. Um, I mean, not for nothing. What's the high point of the episode? Seven of nine appears. You say, whoa, seven of nine. Can't wait for next week. And, you know, that's what you're supposed to feel is I can't wait for next week. I'm so glad I'm subscribed or, hey, all these episodes are out. I now need to click the next one to get value out of my subscription. Um, Bring back Denise Crosby eh, or, or whatever. How about just here's a picture of mother. No, now I shall walk away. And the camera goes over. You see the picture of her, and you just 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 leave it like that. There doesn't need to be the big reveal. She doesn't need to walk out of the shadows again. You don't need to have conversations. I don't know where conversations used to happen when there was uh, unnamed Sela in the uh, in the shadows, and you you know, and people said, "Does that sound like Denise Crosby?" Because those conversations weren't happening online in you know nineteen ninety or whatever. But it would be a really fun connection. I I don't think you necessarily even need to bring her back yet. I'd say that that you'd hope they could work it out at some point in, you know, a second season, a third season, what have you, uh, tie it all together. Uh, but I, I think it'd be a really nice nod if we find out, you know, all right, there's, there's a connection there. This gone Madon day of annihilation. Um, obviously the Romulans have been through this, uh, catastrophe in terms of their son has that, been the gone madan or is it still coming uh, that's a great question i'm reminded of how a lot of the um a lot of the japanese anime which is post holocaust in its kind of futuristic vision i mean heck even japanese sci-fi godzilla right godzilla is is a nuclear bomb it is post holocaust because they are uh, it's post nuclear holocaust because they're a society that's been through the nuclear holocaust so through that lens, let me put it this way, Pete. Through my lens, having not lived through something like that, I watch this show and they go, oh, the big destruction is coming or there's big destruction. I go, oh, big destruction is coming. But you very wisely point out that they've already lived through this. So at what point do you go, hey, this thing foretold in the scrolls of, of old, yeah, it already happened. We're living after the great destruction. Um, I have a hard time... From a cultural slash theological point of view, if I may imagine myself in the the Romulan 
culture and theology, I have a hard time believing that there's a second near all ending uh, social holocaust to happen to everyone. So I think you have a good point that the show wants us to be primed for Soji to be the ender of worlds, but a world has already ended. Yeah, this concept that the shackled demons will break their chains and answer the call. Okay, so is Soji and other Sojis now established, you know, because Picard had a dream with five queens, um, the Borg connection, connotation there, the Romulans who have been assimilated, having this difficulty, nobody else. So is Soji going to somehow awaken them and they're going to go on some kind of murder spree, uh, again, with the, with the great, uh, stakes of everything everywhere. It, it certainly is the type of thing that you, you bring Admiral Picard back for one great last ride. Certainly it's interesting to see how these threads are going to come together in the next six episodes, plenty of story time to do so. I kind of increasingly feel like they're putting their foot on the gas of, you know, Thor Ragnarok is coming. Uh, if I'm not overusing that joke, but you know, the, the end of things is coming and that is certainly your second half of the season countdown when it comes to Soji and how she fits into all this indeed as the search for Soji continues. So let's talk about the guilt, both self-imposed and imposed by others on Picard. I mean, we're talking about Starfleet. We're talking about a federation. I get his guilt by association, but even a powerful man is just one person. How far could he have even, I mean, he's in a power structure. These people must understand this at some point. He is not the president of the Federation yet. Um, and, and couldn't have just said, no, we will get these Romulans off sand cliff planet where you have established temporarily quaint and idyllic base. Well, I'm reminded Pete of a uh, former president of your alma mater, uh, Columbia University. I refer to Dwight D. Eisenhower, who did all these things in the military and had all this success, <laughs> to say the least, you know, helping save the world. Um, but had all this success in one venue in life, then went to, uh, went to be president of Columbia University and was wildly unsuccessful because the rules were different, the, 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 politics you know in a in a in a smaller sense were different it, it was a much more difficult job than running the war for a variety of reasons i guess ultimately coming down to his skill set so too i think with the mighty picard who had all these successes and one would think well to go from saving everybody all these times the borg the this the that arbiter of the klingons and you know all of these great adventures that we saw that that you know, and in the last five minutes with great success, um, somebody who's not used to failure and there's this great failure here, I, I have 
you know, my heart is slightly broken, not not really, but I feel I, I feel heartbreak by proxy that Picard met this great failure at this extreme time of need for for people uh, for whom he was sympathetic. But he was a failure and kind of met that with going to this hermetic experience. I think there's some truth to it beyond the need for the story to say, and Picard has done nothing since Star Trek 09. Um, I, I think there's some truth there that sometimes when we reach our limits, we don't level up and level up. We just meet our limits and say, well, all right, I've done enough and, and slink away. Did the Borg really ritualistically take off their shoes and slide in the ventilation uh, section did this happen after assimilation like resistance is futile but fun is mandatory uh no i think that this was narrick giving the little the little worm on the hook to say let me show you something something borg and instead it was just an opportunity for him to enjoy frivolity and romance uh with soji albeit we understand that being an excuse under the larger framework of he wants to tug at her heartstring, uh, perhaps maybe tug at, a, tug at a belt as well, but tug at her heartstrings in order to push and prod to, to walk this line where he wants to get the information out or he wants to have her have some sort of self-realization without the activation that we saw uh, Dodge go through. Soji says that an old friend of her father's taught her impeccable Romulan. So, of course, she's an android. Um, it's programming. But is this another potential nod? I mean, we only know so many Romulan characters from the next generation. And it's pretty easy to say, probably not. Uh, you know, Tomaluk, is this another opportunity that Sila could be involved if if Sila was helping Maddox and Sila is related to Elnor, couldn't create a dynamic there at all. <laughs> half brother, half sister. Um, I like that you circle back to the notion that Bruce Maddox is the father she knows, not data. And I think that that's, that's an area that I think is true to the story and the story has given us all the evidence in that direction. Ideal think, dad is data. What's that? Ideal dad is data. I mean, the, the head tilt in this scene where they're talking about uh, the, the Romulan and this ritual, you, you go back and watch it. And I'd love to speak to Issa Brignones and, you know, ask her about the, uh, you know, what do you even call that? Just practice in terms of, all right, here, here is when data would inquisitively tilt his head and that she gets this in a moment that is undersold. Genetic metaphorically or positronic dad is data. Adoptive dad is Bruce Maddox. And I think that, I think the show is prepared for many audience members to think when she mentions dad and she is data's offspring that we're going to finally get to that, you know, that darkened corner and she's going to say, Papa and Brent Spiner is going to turn around. And I think the show is, the show is prepping. 
I don't want to say the core of the audience, but the show is prepared for many people to need it spelled out via exposition. Look, that's Bruce Maddox, the man who constructed her based on Data's DNA. Again, DNA kind of in quotes here. Um, so, so I think they're kind of the show is very wisely kind of having its cake and eating it too in terms of we know there's a Data connection, but it's it's headed towards a Bruce Maddox reveal. Um, now, as for whether it was a real person uh, who was the friend of her father who taught her Romulan, or this is a fake memory because, you know, she woke up three years ago and said, oh, good morning, Papa, Bruce Maddox, do you want me to go, you know, whatever, whatever one does for chores in the morning, or do you want me to go, you know, study destroy my calculus, <laughs> go destroy worlds, you know, point being, she could have woken up believing that this was the, you know, the that she was 20 years old and this was yet another morning where she just wakes up and they have their morning routine and so forth versus it's this carefully constructed lie that she lives in. Uh, so I tread lightly in wondering who this friend is, whether it's real or whether it's just there's your throwaway line because Narek is trying to say, hey, a lot of your lines, uh, Soji, are are fake. And back to that date, the, the the birth date, if you will, May 12th, 2396. So three years earlier where conceivably Soji, Dodge, the three other queens, a million other queens all brought online here. So again, elegantly establishing where the origin is instead of hammering us over the head. And I'm I'm checking now, Pete. I believe, and I, I don't have a theory here, but I believe the pilot for um, Star Trek Discovery started on May 11th. Uh, yes, it did. Uh, which side note is my wife's birthday? That's why I remember. Started so did, filming. Uh, the start date one two oh seven point three is yes. May 11th, 2256. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, it's all connected, Matt. Vastly different years. I'm just pointing out that that off the top of my head uh day and date dates in this modern era of star trek have been far and few between we got one that was may 11th we got another one that's may 12th what happens on may 13th is it some sort of uh reverse countdown i don't know but if it could be may 47th it would be <sighs> so wait a minute true. matt four and seven equal 11 oh my god Pete, not a complete theory, but we need to get some numbers, listeners, on this because I think we're about to blow the roof off this, or we are just yelling into the <laughs> darkness. Uh, Terrans on Vashti, that the Kuat Malat are uh, protecting them. Um, living there, or are these more like, all right, there are uh, Terran refugee agencies that that come and distribute food and and maybe there are bitter romulans that don't want to accept that like they treat picard and they protect them so that they can do that um i think a little of both you know about a month ago i saw some some video of like this husband and wife who live in an on an unclaimed beach i think somewhere in canada on a lake or something like that how they built this floating existence and grow their own clams that they sell in town i mean point being we have people in the real world who say i don't want to live in downtown city i don't want to live on main street in the suburb i kind of want to do my own thing and occasionally if i have to trade this or sell that or interact with the real world for supplies i'll do it i'm not 
I'm not adverse to seeing society, but I kind of want to do my own thing. So I can imagine that Vashti is a place where if you don't want to live, you know, uh, a taxi ride or a transport ride away from anywhere in earth and you really want to get away from it all and have a more, uh, you know, mountain life existence, as, as we might say in our, in our, uh, life here, you know, you might go to Vashti and be like, all right, over there is all the Romulans who hate me. Uh, I'm going to go there over by my, my lake shack and I'm going to fish for, you know, four eyed fish all day. And occasionally if I got to, you know, buy fish hooks from the town square from Romulans who hate me because I'm Terran and eh, so be it. at least I got the cell sword, uh, to keep me safe game of Thrones style. So from Vashti to the Jat Vash, uh, no connection there, uh, plan to eliminate Daj, Soji, all of them. Again, the, the five queens in the dream there at the very beginning of the season, the card game between uh, Picard and Data, perhaps subconsciously planted uh, the the idea of all these, and again the the Borg um, implants still a part of Picard, so a, a connection to potentially be explored. What is the ultimate plan? First of all, I was not, I have not always been on board with your Five Queens theory, but this is the episode, this is the podcast episode where I'm officially on board. If, as a writing room, you're going to get together to come up with 10 40-minute scripts, which a monumental task to be true, but this is far from the days of, you know, Next Generation has to do 28 episodes this season, and I, I don't know, there's a certain point, whatever, give him a trombone and come up, he has a jazz for lady friend and go, go, go with the episode. Um, surely you have the time to set up reveals later on, even in artistic flourishes. Um, if they don't ever explain... Oh, Picard was subconsciously implanted by the Borg Queen who had a plan for 30 years later to have five offspring or, or whatever. If it's just a little Shaban flourish of five queens and then five Dodge Sojis later on, I think it's a great writerly moment. Um, that said, I kind of feel like all of them, I mean, the phrase all of them could encompass five. I have the idea of like, there's a hundred of them. Um, if all of this is operating on the level of just that Romulan hate of the synthetic, uh, okay, they're choosing to go after these five synths now on Earth, kind of? Like, I guess it's not entirely clear. And I know that there's been some criticism that everybody knows everything going on in this show. There is no mystery because it's all been spelled out. That could be. I mean, certainly there are some mysteries, but... It could be that it's as simple as we hate those robot women. We're going to get those robot women. And in the end, we get defeated trying to stop the robot women. End of season eh, could be, or maybe there's more to it. What is Soji's plan? I think Soji's plan is to continue to do her research. I think she's just starting to become aware that this guy that she trusts, who is mostly nice and occasionally is giving these stinging moments um that he knows more about her than he lets on uh or at least that much is clear what he knows is not clear to her and there's some mystery here and he's slowly feeding that to her um it must be quite a thing to find out that your existence is not real 
And then Seven showing up, we knew this was going to happen. But why had she come to Vashti? Uh, is she tracking Picard? Is this unrelated? Is she one of the humans that occasionally beams through the shield to provide uh, succor for the Romulans? Or is this secret mission stuff? I rather like the idea that she's been one of these people who's been tracking Picard. Um Maybe it's even a back channel. You know, you don't need to bring back everybody who still ha- who has ever been in Star Trek who still is alive. They don't need to take a curtain bow. But if she just says, you know, Catherine told me to keep an eye out for you, boom, that's all you need. You don't even need the Janeway part. If it's just enough where you get this notion of, you know, you know, Janeway might Janeway might be out of the game, but she still has people in the know, and she sent me. That would be just enough to be totally believable. We, of course, only ever had the one crisscross with Jane Wayne Picard um, via, you know, via the hollow screen and whatnot. But it would be just enough to say in the community of good Starfleet officers that are out there, some of whom are no longer in their prime, some of whom have retired. There still is enough to sit in, you know, uh, Janeway got tipped off by still Ensign Kim uh, hey, Picard, blah blah blah, and then he left the CNC's office, and she said, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get Seven to keep an eye on him just at the fringes." It's an idea that I love. Well, we might not have a free Romulan movement, Matt, but there's a movement of people behind the scenes to help us at Patreon.com/slash/FantasticGeek. Indeed, Pete, they help keep the bleeps and the bleeps going. You might notice the Borg cube has those big green walls to kind of keep it structurally safe. So on the outside, so too is the case with those who visit patreon.com slash fantastic geek, keeping things supported, keeping things rolling, making sure that our badges don't turn green and our podcasts are hopefully evergreen. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels from there only takes a dollar to get you into that area where your badge turns green and you get all these special perks uh, mere quarter a week can't contribute this month or at all head over to apple podcasts leave us a rating takes seconds leave us a review takes a little bit longer and all of it helps us just as much with that pete let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir Pete, let's start with Twitter. We ran our poll. Uh, one star, honestly, yuck, got 2.3%. Two stars, sock sliding, got 4.7%. 47. Uh, three stars, stomp a sign, got 16%. And four stars, oh, a ship, got 76.7%. So a hearty uh, round of reactions there. Some tweets as well. First one up from our pal, JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. Uh, I think the areas of the Borg Reclamation Project that are off-limits, because you might get assimilated, are actually places where the Romulans are doing things they want to keep secret. Loved Seven's entrance. The fall is slightly comic, and she's great at that. Next tweet up is from Annie Harrington. That's at any time left. Time with a Y. I'm loving the character development in this one. I think Gerardi is a great analog for us. And she had some delightful lines that make the whole thing seem more real. I love that they pointed out that not everyone human on Earth in the 24th century has been in space before. 
Uh, I've read that Santiago Cabrera also speaks French and Italian fluently and that he lived in Romania as a kid. All <laughs> seem like potential additional EH accents. Uh, it's an emergency hologram. I was delighted to hear that the real Rios's peculiar mixed sounding accent is just Cabrera's regular speaking voice. Yeah, I mean, definitely a flourish that this uh, performer provides and really, really appreciated. This, this is where casting directors really go above and beyond. Uh, we have a tweet from Craig that's at Entropic Enigma who says, I want an Emmett at my weapons console all day long and twice <laughs> on Sundays. Uh, Pete, there was a question from Annie Harrington, uh, which is uh, regarding last week's episode. Do we know why Rafi got fired from Starfleet? Simply agreeing with Picard and disagreeing with the decision to call off the rescue doesn't seem like a fireable offense. Did I miss something? You had shared some thoughts. What was that, Pete? Well, we're never definitively told she was fired from Starfleet. The thing that she tearfully recounts is that she had her security clearance revoked. If you were a highly placed security, uh, you know, uh, commander, she's she's got the gold on there, uh, you know, a la a wharf or somebody like that. And suddenly they're revoking your security. You really would have been neutered. And was it simply a question that she tender her resignation after that? We don't know that they continue to pepper in flashbacks. I can't imagine that's going to stop given the way that's informing the current story. So perhaps we'll get the forget you Commodore O, except she doesn't say forget you. Um, and, and we get the, the scene that happens there as, as a means of, uh, you know, informing what happened on the topic there was also a reply from uh, dag from beyond trek podcast our, our pals over there uh beyond trek pod is the twitter uh currently reading the last best hope picard novel raffi was his number one on the rescue fleet chances are the brass felt raffi would follow in picard's footsteps and booted her we'll let you know when i get there and pete that tweet was enough for me to uh put a hold on the last best hope uh in my local library so i'll dig into that uh in due course I doubt it's going to be a thing that they just do in uh, a, a spinoff novelization. So if it's meant to be explored in the series, they'll get to it. Other than the fact that she has this bitterness, I can't imagine they're not going to come back to some further specifics why she's no longer Starfleet. I mean, everybody on this makeshift crew has been in Starfleet and is no longer in Starfleet. I know I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but I do find it interesting that, you know, in this modern day and age, you know, Star Trek, certainly Star Wars, and most of these franchisable uh, things, what's it like to not just build your own story, but to intentionally be like, hey, we got three novels coming out this year. We have somebody lined up to do a Picard novel. What's the hole that we leave in there for them to work in that's not also going to hamstring us? Right. Um, and that's not a criticism. That's just, you know, it's the responsibility of, you know, Star Trek Inc. to be doing all this stuff. And how do well, you make that's it, make where it one of the series co-creators in Kirsten Byer, somebody who got her start as a novelist doing Voyager novels. And then she's kind of the protector of the brand on the multimedia side from a from a print storytelling 
perspective, you know, novelizations, graphic novel, comic book tie-ins, et cetera, et cetera, and then helping to create and to pitch this series uh, where her work's really instrumental. So having a person help to, all right, this is TV show stuff. Here's stuff that will never directly be explored in a TV show. You can go play with this. Oh, Rafi and Picard Adventures early on. I mean, they've done that in a countdown comic. Uh, surely that stuff comes up in uh, Last Best Hope. A tweet from Ian Knight, our great pal, at Zort70. They definitely know how to end an episode. Do you think the EHH cooks? And why does the phaser firing one speak Spanish? Pete, I'll take the last question there. I think that I think that we are meant to note that Emmett, uh, Emmett is the, uh, the, the security one, right? Yes, tactical. Okay, tactical. I think that... I think that as the show is slowly getting us prepped for the reveal that uh, Rios is a hologram, the fact that this latest one is most like him, I think it's meant to be this slow cluing in. But Pete, how many of them cook? None of them so far. <laughs> Plenty of room. Plenty, six episodes left to the season. The, the, the French one now, we know he speaks French, right? <laughs> Come on. Oh, here you go, Captain Picard. Why am I making him Italian? I don't know. <laughs> He's going to have the big chef hat and whatnot. Yes. Or maybe he's Swedish, you know, get some Borg jokes in there. Yeah. Uh, It's a great affectation. I mean, this is why I love the collaborative storytelling that goes on with TV. Not to say that this stuff doesn't happen with film. It does. And increasingly franchise filmmaking, utilizing uh, writers' rooms um, apart from you know, the, the, the writing teams that, that might write, you know, Kurtzman having been in a team with uh, Roberto Orki doing the, uh, the Star Trek, uh, you know, rebooted films and uh, the Transformers films, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, this kind of stuff, this, this gold comes out of the conversations you don't just have with yourself, you have with other people. Oh, all right, so one of the characters is secret hologram. How do we soft pedal that that could be the case. There are a bunch of other holograms, misdirection. Okay. One speaks one language. One has a, a different accent, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, feed that to the casting people. You need to get an actor who is fluent in several languages and comfortable, not just in his own skin, but playing these other accented characters. I mean, hand to hand to hand. Maybe even the reverse, you know, in these early conversations, hey, I'm talking to my trusted cast, a casting person. The casting person says, I have a, you don't have parts yet? I got a great guy who speaks four languages. There you oh, go. Oh, oh, let's do something with that. Right. You know? and, and that sometimes goes on as well. You know, they might craft a character around a performer that they, they know that they have. And Santiago Cabrera, you know, I know he was on Heroes. I watched very little of that show. I know he's appeared in other things. But I'm so appreciating the multiple takes we get out of him on this show and really being the, the first time I'm getting to know him. Wait a minute. He was on Heroes. Was he – genuine question here, Pete. Was he in Alcatraz as, one of, as a character that disappeared? Jimmy. He was in Alcatraz as Jimmy. Wasn't that the character that got all but edited out? Jimmy the Boyfriend? I think he might have been. Oh, my gosh. So, it all comes back around. 
longtime listeners may remember we podcasted Alcatraz in 2011. Under and, a different name. Under a different name. And the show had shut down production partway through because they felt there were problems and they had the time. And they went back and re-shot parts of the first half and re-edited. And his character as boyfriend to the female lead was reduced to shows up in passing in the first episode and then is completely gone for the rest of it. So, oh my goodness, Pete, here we are almost 10 years later and he's back in one of our podcasts. And you mentioning Heroes, it just, I had my, this Ratatouille moment going back in time. That was insane. Uh, let's hear some more tweets, Pete, that maybe won't be quite as mind-blowing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> thank you, Ian, for getting us on that uh, tangent there. Uh, Tony Hughes, it's at Tony Hughes 50S. This show just gets better and better. Uh, Kenna Daber, Knucklehead602, says, Yesterday's, talking about this episode, Yesterday's Picard was entertaining, but it felt a bit like a story of this magnitude isn't moving quite fast enough for the limited number of episodes they have to work with. Continued in season two, maybe. But then Jerry L. Ryan as Seven of Nine showed up and all was forgiven. Uh, two more tweets here. First one from Trek Nexus. Vulcan emoji, rainbow emoji. Itik is the way. That's at Trek Nexus. Uh, says, spoilers. I love seeing the old bird of prey for the first time in 50 years. Picard's irreverence got that Romulan killed, though. And that seemed out of character for him. Mad Cersei Azula vibes from Narek's sister. <laughs> yeah. Uh, expect him to do an about face and make a sacrifice play for Soji later. And last but certainly not least, from Clifford Jenkins, Cliffor, 8037503. What an entrance by seven. Definitely. And if you're going to introduce her, you introduce her at the very end of the episode and you let that be the stinger. Um, we've lamented before, it's just a function of you know, the Screen Actors Guild and, you know, whatever contracts are out there, how they have to credit them in the uh, the title card. So I, I do give them a little bit of credit. I know people were doing a double take. Had had she been there the entire series and I, I, I didn't notice it, did I misremember it? It looked like it was in tinier font so at least they made some kind of attempt oh hey look at the the eyeball being put together totally not uh jerry ryan in this episode pete you and i are both ultra supportive of uh workers rights mm -hmm. union rights etc please however uh producers uh it's not the producers guild but the people that everybody has to uh has to negotiate with uh that you know represents the studios and the money and whatnot Let's do a thing in the next Screen Actors Guild uh, um, contract. contract where you can pay somebody more for not having their name in the credits that they would otherwise deserve yes. because they show up in give, the last. Give them a bump and they yeah. show up and then the uh, in the credits they they get the immediate credit after the episode. Yes, yeah, special Fair. appearance by our special guest star. Yeah. And and sit and go, hey, if you as the show make that decision, whatever their rate is, whatever the rate is, per, the per episode rate that you've negotiated ahead of time, boom, it's an automatic 50% increase for that episode out of I'll say ego. I'm not suggesting Jerry Ryan is is right. you know has an ego, but just out of deference to them, here's the number. It would make for a better it's a mildly better viewing experience, but it's all happened to us so many times where you sit and go, 
oh, I just saw the name. Jack's father is going to be in this episode of Lost. Oh, man. You know, Jerry Ryan. Oh, man. Marina Sirtis, whatever it's going to be, right. you know. Let's check the email inbox, Pete. First one up from Paula Steinker, who says, Hey, guys, sorry to be a week late, but there is something I've been wondering about for a while. And since you brought up the reasons why people run anti-Trek uh, YouTube channels. <laughs> Perfect timing, as it turned out, since we yeah. discussed it at the top of this podcast. Oh, oh wait, uh, Matt, has this person writing in uh, trolled uh, these people, maybe? Uh, maybe she's a hero. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> why do these channels get an astronomical number of views? I just looked at one they in Picard. Don't. I just looked at one in Picard that had over a million views. Is it possible for them to game the system? The positive yes. channels are lucky to get in the tens of thousands. I'm afraid that these inflated numbers may have their desired effect of dampening CBS's enthusiasm for Star Trek, especially now with the big merger coming. Certainly Star Wars did not combat naysayers effectively, capitulated to them, in fact, and now have put the production of all movies on hold for two years. If Disney can't win, who can? By the way, I think you knocked it out of the park with your Star Wars podcasts. You guys really upped your game. I tried to write reviews on iTunes. I tried three times, but they weren't accepted. Uh, they, thank you, though. Do they only allow one per person? Um, I keep up the good work, Paula Steinker. So... Pete, I think each podcast feed can get one review. We'll start with that. Yeah, and I think it overwrites. Um, but much appreciated on on the effort there. Definitely, uh, you know, uh, makes us, uh, you know, feel good that uh, people might have tried and and things aren't coming through. But on the um, and thank you for the compliment about the uh, the Star Wars podcast. But on the uh, on the YouTube stuff. Um, that is the new identity theft. Uh, the the idea that people are uh, having bots watch their shows. YouTube is constantly kicking off YouTubers. And part of it is their own problem because they only monetize after a certain threshold is reached because of the constantly moving target of the algorithm that they're all trying to uh, satiate so that they can get paid. Um, and then you've got YouTuber burnout and, and all this other stuff uh, 14, 15 years on into this uh, new form of media. So uh, they are inflating their views. They're doing it through bots. It's completely evident on Twitter. And many of these YouTubers are dumb enough to retweet near identical tweets that bot accounts have been set up to tweet their videos, thereby gaining views. Hey, check out my friend, insert name of YouTubers, video here and link. It is beyond transparent in a bad way. And um, it, it's completely apparent what they're doing. So a million views, uh, try again. Um, that's one thing I love about the podcast medium. There's no way to puff up listenership uh and it is what it is and that's why uh you know at fantastic geek we're just so gratified in, in terms of the listenership that we have and the interaction and it's authentic instead of this nonsense that goes on with youtube another email from lila phillips who says hi really enjoying the podcast the Romulan couple's situation is explained in more uh, detail in uh, the three-issue comic series. Uh -huh. That's the Star Trek Picard countdown. Uh, they're married and on the run. 
um she sent us a link there on amazon pete i feel like when we are done podcasting picard i i definitely need to check down check out the countdown comics part of Um, the the issue i've had you know i had a a comic store i went to for years and years and years i didn't get into comics until i was an adult um and you know had read a lot of particularly the star trek ones the beginning part of last decade connected in and around uh star trek 09 and then you know they did some really great work going into and coming out of into darkness and uh the the comic book chores anywhere near me have closed and i i know amazon and i know digital it's just something to me about holding a paper comic i i feel is important as a piece of art and uh i i definitely need to get a hold of those comics just another way to do it so yeah maybe you know if there is a break i hope there isn't between picard and, and uh, discovery might be uh something to explore uh and for whatever it's worth the link she sent uh you know on kindle and comiXology which i hear on the digital end but on kindle and comiXology talking a buck or two or issue so you know we'll uh we'll certainly see on that end pete what do you have on your end in terms of reviews over on Apple Podcasts, Matt, we have received a review courtesy of Blitzman's. Uh, the headline is Excellent Discussion, five stars. And it reads, Matt and Pete are great Star Trek fans with much more working knowledge than I have about Star Trek history. They point out Easter eggs that I miss and always make the discussion fun. Some of the other fan stuff I hear is a little too, shall I say, serious they get that this is a great part of popular culture but that the shows aren't wait for it real picard has been great so far and matt and pete make watching that much more fun thanks for the great podcast guys i'll keep listening well thank you for those kind words and i think that most if not all of what we podcast most of the shows, they're meant to be fun. You know, this is not like, Wait, hey, I'm not supposed to hate the thing that I love? <laughs> exactly. To quote uh, Trek, uh, Craig, not Trek, uh, uh, Craig from before. Um, but also like, you know, the shows that we podcast, it's not, you know, it's not, you know, The Night Of on HBO. It's not, hey, there's this movie where they hunt runaway Nazis in Brazil. Those are both totally valid forms of storytelling and powerful in their own. But like, you know, the Schindler's List podcast by Fantastic Geek, that's not that's not in our wheelhouse to have a discussion about that, which is going to be entertaining because it's, oh, uh, you know, it's it's more weighty than most of the things we watch. It's obviously super serious and there's there's no kind of the, there, there's no room for what we do, which is to treat what we watch seriously, but also sit and go, uh, Pete, did you notice that in the shot where um Elnor jumps and takes out the one bad guy than the other. There's actually a jump cut there hiding the, like you're not going to do that for, you know, Pete, I'm going to complain about in Casablanca. There's not costume continuity with the, you know, we're here to have fun. These are supposed to be fun shows. If it's anything that's too serious, you know, there's a place for that, but that's not, that's not, we we don't podcast stuff to spend 90 minutes being serious. No. And the self-importance of it can't, impede with the self-expression um i i think trek has a healthy sense of this was done 53 and a half years ago and this was done with 
far greater effects with advances in prosthetics, with different fabrics for uniforms, uh, different ways of dressing a set. To ignore that would be ridiculous. And uh, all right, so uh, you feel somebody who gets bent out of shape that it's wrecked your childhood, your adolescence, your young adulthood, whatever it is. Other rational people can understand much as this show underpins the passage of time. Now, Pete, we have explored in these four episodes, we've seen the the CNC of Starfleet, okay? We've wondered, will Picard become president? We've also said, hey, do we have a captain who is a hologram? Pete, we have a listener who, I must admit, we've never met in person. He might be a hologram, too, though he is an admiral. And I, of course, refer to Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 4. I like this episode a lot. Of course, as anybody, it was very nice to see Seven of Nine appearing in the last scene. <laughs> and for me, it was especially nice because I was watching this with my wife and she was really cheering on the couch. It isn't that she didn't know that Jerry Ryan would be in it because she saw an interview with her. But nevertheless, that was nice. I like the cinematography here again. The village, the inside of the Fasti nunnery, Rio's ship on the inside and several space views, including the battle. I liked, you can think wrong things about this, but I liked the way Nerissa waked up her brother Narek. And we get here talking about Elvi-like persons. We get after a Star Trek Turiel in Nerissa, now also a Star Trek Legolas in Elnor, and even his name sounds a little bit Lord of the Ringish. Funny fact I discovered is that the boy that is playing young Elnor is Ian Nani, and he is brought up in a Fasti Nunnery. Um, the role of Zani, played by Amira Van, was very, very, very nice. Although I was quite critical about the acting of Sir Patrick sometimes, and even in this episode I saw it again, that I thought, not the perfect acting. I saw in this episode really very good and very superb pieces of acting by him. For instance, when he is standing with Raffi in front of the window of the hollow chateau and he is talking about that he does want to go to Vashti because it's perhaps the last time he is going to visit uh, Vashti and seeing the, the nuns there and seeing Elnor. This is a very nice broad sentence and he says I may never pass this way again. And then how he looks after that. Very, very well played. I had some problems with the teenage love scene like sliding in a Borg cube. Hello. Yeah, I know people in love do strange things, but still, bit silly of Narek organizing this. And for a part it worked. But then suddenly Soji realized more or less, huh, what are you doing with me and what game are you playing? Very bright of her, by the way, but 
I didn't know where that realization came from suddenly, but it, it was, was good that she did realize it. This also let me realize that if she is an android, then in the emotional field she must be quite good to feel all this subtle, emotional, people playing her things. I think this is the goal Data always had to reach this point, to be as human as possible. And I think if you would watch Soju and you wouldn't know this story and would see how she interacts on an emotional level, then nobody would think this is an android. Okay, that was all for now. Admiral Fred signing off. Admiral Fred, indeed, don't sell yourself down the river with your rank there. Uh, Fred, yes, the acting all the way around in this episode, whether it's Jerry Ryan at the, the very end selling, as uh, another listener had pointed out, the, the comedic uh, in the seriousness, or whether it's Elnor and definitely the, the nod there potentially to Lord of the Rings, Elrond, Elnor, similar style archetypes. Um, but yeah, the, the performances, I mean, you can't really point to one that, that hasn't panned out at this point. Fred also mentions how Picard is aware of his own mortality. Something maybe Pete that we touch on less because we don't want to admit that for Picard, nay, perhaps for all of us, but certainly for Picard, we don't want to admit that it's true. Yeah. I mean, that line about never passing that way again, I mean, it's not a victory lap so much as it is one last tour around the battlefield and this mission he has to, to see that Soji is found and, and safely. Um, obviously, it's going to evolve into other things headed into a now secured second season. But, uh, you know, makes us aware of, of our own mortality through the character. And that's what the best of art does. Fred took some issue with the the socks sliding around in the board cube, as I think we did a little bit too. A little, little well, finger wagging there. It would have been unbelievable for them. Now we will go to the uh, Wallman rink inside the Borg artifact, where we can do the ice skating. So, all right, in a in a darkened corridor, uh, take the the shoes off and just slide around. I, I was uh, more keyed up like Borg ritual. What what were they doing? Did they secretly all this time have, you know, some form of religion? Uh, I, I was really fascinated by that and then more so let down. Oh, he's he wants kissy time. Well, it's to me, the scene, though, it sells the effervescence of youth. As I said before, it's more about him seducing her to get the information out that he wants there just happens to be kissy time along the way but pete it did have me thinking you know fred references the silly things that we do in love uh as, as young loves i'm wondering what did a young a younger fred fred a very young and vital man still uh what what crazy things did the younger fred do back in the day that he dare share uh on the podcast maybe he could let us know inquiring minds want to know about admiral fred there you go 
Well, Pete, listeners on our Pop Culture Podcast feed will know that only in the last uh, four or five days we talked about the effervescent and energetic Birds of Prey movie, also called Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey, uh, and ton of fun there. And indeed, Pete, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, the return of God friended me in a couple days as well. Meanwhile, over on Patreon, a goodie may be showing up in the next couple days as well. Secret, secret. Uh, but of course, if you're here for Star Trek, either on the Pop Culture Podcast feed or on our Picard feed, we will be back next Saturday with more Picard. But Pete, how can people be in touch with you to discuss any of those properties or the things that we have planned in the future? I'm talking Black Widow, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Star Trek Discovery, Eternals, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Mandalorian, WandaVision, I think that's it. How can they be in touch with you? Loki, well, Loki's not this year. I'm just looking at this year. But how can people be in touch with you? Always in motion is the future. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,149 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. Can't wait to talk more geeky goodness on Patreon soon on the Pop Culture Podcast on Monday. And, of course, back here talking Picard next weekend. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. A promise is a prison.